Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2012. Dealing with Paul's Epistles to the Thessalonians, it's brought to you by Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 10, September 1-7, Church Life, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-28. Sabbath afternoon, September 1. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we open your word again. We are listening to what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. And he gives praise to the members in Thessalonica. But he also gives them warnings. And as we look at some of these this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be here to guide and bless our study of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Let's try that again. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. And the key thought for this week is, Paul gives these Thessalonians, both leaders and lay members, very practical as well as spiritual advice about how to relate to one another. Paul concludes his first lesson to the Thessalonians with 17 admonitions in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-22, followed by a closing prayer in the next five verses. This week's lesson begins with three admonitions regarding the attitude of local church members toward their leaders. These admonitions are followed by six imperatives regarding how local church leaders should behave toward their people. Eight brief admonitions follow in the next seven verses. These can be organized into two groups, three counsels on maintaining a positive Christian attitude and five on how to relate to new light in the form of prophecies. In the concluding prayer, Paul summarizes a main theme of this letter that believers in Thessalonica and beyond would continue to grow in holiness until the second coming itself. In other words, they are to live every day in preparation for the Lord's return. In one sense, what could be more of a present truth message than that? Sunday, September 2, Response to Ministry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. The two verses at the heart of today's lesson follow the concluding admonition of last week's lesson to encourage one another and build each other up. This work takes place in local churches, in the process of mentoring and discipleship. The lesson today focuses on how disciples should respond to the efforts of their leaders and mentors. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 12 and 13. What is Paul's basic point and how should we apply it to ourselves? In what ways can you better work with, support and love those who are over you in the Lord? 
1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. The structure of the Greek of verse 12 indicates that the three phrases in the second half all refer to the same group, the local leaders of the Thessalonian church. Paul calls on the members to know these leaders, meaning to notice, respect or recognise them. The implication being that perhaps some in the church were disrespectful of authority. The word admonish has the connotation of instruct, warn or even knock sense into. Paul acknowledges here that church leaders will often need to exercise tough love. This kind of leadership is not always welcome, yet Paul goes on in verse 13 to ask the members to highly esteem their leaders on account of the difficult issues with which they have to deal. Paul wants all the members of the church to be at peace with one another. The language of these verses reflects ancient strategies for dealing with people. Thought leaders of Paul's day knew that dealing with people is delicate work. They encouraged leaders to carefully diagnose the condition of their followers and to be sensitive as to whether or not the follower was open to correction, to choose the right timing and to apply the appropriate remedy. Above all else, leaders were expected to examine themselves before trying to correct others. Paul added elements to this framework. For the Christian, God is the model of leadership, and the goal of church leadership is a membership who live lives worthy of God. So to finish today, in some cultures there is a tendency to distrust and challenge leadership, in others to blindly submit to it. How has your own culture's attitude toward authority impacted the church in your area? Monday, September 3, providing ministry, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 to 15. In verses 12 and 13, Paul addresses ways in which members in the church should treat their leaders. In today's passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 14 and 15, Paul turns his attention to the leaders of the church and how they should treat those under their care. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15. In what ways does Paul admonish church leaders in regard to their treatment of members? Look at the principles there. How can we apply them to ourselves, whatever our role may be in the church? Meanwhile, how should we apply these principles at work, at home, at play, and wherever we find ourselves? Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. And we'll compare that with Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, 
You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Paul encouraged the leaders in Thessalonica to warn those who are unruly. The unruly were members who refused to support themselves, who were willfully difficult to deal with, and who had to be confronted. In contrast, Paul instructs the leaders to encourage the timid, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. The timid are people who have little self-confidence or sense of worth. They are anxious and worried about many things. Such people matter to God, so leadership should encourage them. The weak are those with moral and spiritual limitations. They are gullible, easily discouraged by hardship and fearful of the unfamiliar. Their hearts might be in the right place, but they lack knowledge and are troubled by the past. They need help to survive. Paul directs church leaders to be patient with everyone. While the first three councils in verse 14 are fine-tuned to meet various conditions, patience is always appropriate for pastoral care. Paul probably continues to have leaders in mind in verse 15. Whenever caregivers are attacked by those who don't appreciate their admonitions, they may be tempted to retaliate. But when leaders retaliate, it demonstrates that their leadership was not motivated by the Spirit of Christ. It is crucial to sound church leadership to keep the good of others in mind. Verses 12 to 15 presume that there will be mentors and disciples in the church, and it is important that there be a lot of respect and patience in those relationships. But we should not forget 1 Thessalonians 5.11, which says, Encourage one another and build one another up. Pastoral care will often go both ways. There are times when the mentors need to be mentored. Tuesday, September 4. Positive Christian Attitudes, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 According to 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-15, Christians need to learn how to accept and how to offer constructive criticism. That can happen only in the context of relationship. The bottom line is that every Christian needs to be accountable to others and needs to be willing to hold others accountable. A praying church will grow in admonition and encouragement. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. What three things does Paul consider to be the will of God for every believer? Why is each one so important? 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. 
Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things. Hold fast what is good. And it says to also have a look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. And that reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And then Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Glenn Kuhn, a beloved Seventh-day Adventist preacher, loved to say that there are many more commands in the Bible to rejoice than there are to keep the Sabbath. Yet we rarely give rejoicing the emphasis it deserves. Joy in life is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, and spirit-filled joy is possible even in suffering. Paul certainly was a model of what it means to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians is saturated in prayer, as we have seen. Here Paul invites readers of his letter to follow his example. Thankfulness is another positive Christian attitude that Paul exhibited. At the root of pagan depravity was a lack of gratitude to God. According to Thomas Erskine, in the New Testament, religion is grace and ethics is gratitude. Quoted in F.F. F. Bruce, Paul, the apostle of the heart set free. Page 19. It is interesting to note, then, that the Greek words for rejoice and be thankful have the same basic root. The key to godly rejoicing is a continuing spirit of thankfulness to God. Open your eyes. The gifts of God are all around us. We just forget to thank Him for them, often because we're so focused on the trials and struggles of living. If we would cultivate an attitude of thankfulness to God more and more, our walk with Him would be much closer and our lives filled with joy. So to finish the day, make a list of ten things for which you are thankful. Be very specific. Then, make each of these the centre of a short prayer to God. Notice the changes that will come in your whole attitude and outlook. This practice can show you just how crucial thankfulness is in our experience with God. Wednesday, September 5, relating to New Light, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22. What is Paul saying to us here? How can these words be applied to our experience? What form of evil must you, in your own situation, work hard to avoid? In 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-15, Paul was admonishing the church 
In verses 19 to 22, he brings up another form of admonition, the gift of prophecy. The two negatives with which he begins this section are both continuous in emphasis. Stop quenching the spirit and stop despising prophesyings. He's basically telling the Thessalonians to stop something that they were doing on a consistent basis. Though we don't know what specific issue Paul was addressing, he seems to be telling them to be open to more light, while at the same time he's telling them to test it, just to make sure it is indeed light. There are various ways to undermine the gift of prophecy. One of these is to quench the spirit. We do this when we ignore or resist the work of a true prophet. Look at all the opposition, even from within our own ranks, to the prophetic gift we have been given in the life and ministry of Ellen White. A second way to undermine the gift of prophecy is to accept what is said but misinterpret or misapply it. We can approach a prophetic message with an open mind but apply what is said inappropriately to the immediate situation. This is something about which we as Adventists need to be very careful. We have been given a wonderful gift. We don't want to undermine that gift by misusing it. A third way to undermine the gift of prophecy is to give prophetic authority to persons or writings that have not received the gift from God. The church must be continually vigilant, testing everything in order to see whether the prophetic message builds up the church. So, to finish today, what has been the impact of Ellen White's prophetic ministry in your own life? Bring your answer to class on Sabbath. Thursday, September 6, End Time Holiness, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-28 Question. Read 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24 What does it mean to be sanctified holy and preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord? Shouldn't we be that way even now? Verse 23 now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. In today's passage, Paul returns to the language of prayer. His style is similar to that of 1 Thessalonians 3, 11-13. His main theme is also similar, being found blameless in holiness at the second coming. Paul makes a transition here from what the Thessalonians are supposed to do to what God does in us, holiness, and for us, the second coming. Believers have often disagreed as to exactly what this text says about the nature of human beings and the kind of character they can expect to have when Jesus comes. In our brief encounter with this passage, we will focus on what can be said clearly on the basis of this text. Paul is saying that what God does in believers should extend throughout the entire person. Every part of the believer's life is to be affected by sanctification as the return of Jesus approaches. 
In speaking of spirit, soul and body, Paul is not attempting to be scientific and precise about the various layers of the human person. In biblical thought, mind and body are a unified whole, not parts that exist separately. Rather, he was expressing that every part of our mind and body is to be submitted to God. God is to be allowed full control of our thoughts, feelings and actions. Paul's prayer extends from the present time to the second coming. Believers are to be preserved or kept blameless until the coming of the Lord. Paul is praying that the completeness of their dedication to God will be maintained all the way to the end. According to this letter, the Thessalonians were far from perfect, but what they did have was worth preserving until Jesus comes. As much as anything else then, Paul was praying that they would continue to grow in grace through a relationship with Jesus. So to finish today, in what ways can you and should you be preparing every day for the Lord's return? Friday, September 7. From the book The Desire of Ages, page 73, As a child, Jesus carried into his labour cheerfulness and tact. It requires much patience and spirituality to bring Bible religion into the home life and into the workshop, to bear the strain of worldly business and yet keep the eye single to the glory of God. This is where Christ was a helper. He was never so full of worldly care as to have no time or thought for heavenly things. Often he expressed the gladness of his heart by singing psalms and heavenly songs. Often the dwellers in Nazareth heard his voice raised in praise and thanksgiving to God. He held communion with heaven in song. And, as his companions complained of weariness from labour, they were cheered by the sweet melody from his lips. His praise seemed to banish the evil angels and, like incense, fill the place with fragrance. The minds of his hearers were carried away from their earthly exile to the heavenly home. And from the book Minister of Healing, page 251. Nothing tends more to promote health of body and soul than does a spirit of gratitude and praise. It is the positive duty to resist melancholy, discontented thoughts and feelings as much a duty as it is to pray. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, as a class, go over your answers to Wednesday's final questions. Look at it in two ways. What has been Ellen White's impact on our church as a whole? And how has her ministry impacted our lives as individuals? Two, dwell more on this idea of how our culture's attitude toward authority affects our attitude toward authority in the church. Does our culture incite us to disrespect authority or to pay too much deference to it? How can we strike the right balance? Three, how can your local church do a better job of mentoring new believers in character growth? What kind of spiritual leadership training is needed? And to summarise this week's lesson, in this week's passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-27, Paul addresses a variety of issues. 
but he is particularly focused on the spiritual quality of local church life. Believers at the local level are to mentor each other and be joyful and thankful. They are also to be open to new truth, particularly prophetic truth, yet careful and thoughtful in their evaluation of new ideas. Above all else, Paul calls for complete submission to God in every area of personal life with an eye toward the return of Jesus. And that brings us to our inside story, our mission story for this week. It's titled Light in the Darkness, Part 1. Another one of those hanging stories. We'll have to wait till next week to get the answer, but there'll be something in it for us now. Light in the Darkness. Bhutan is a small mountainous country lying on the southern slopes of the Himalayas and bordered by northeast India. For generations it has been cut off from the outside world. Bhutanese are nearly all Buddhist and Hindu. There are few known Christians in the country, but God has ways of opening hearts and leading seekers to Jesus. Tipa was a monk in Bhutan, but he felt dissatisfied. One day he met a Christian couple who secretly introduced him to Jesus. When Tipa's family learned that he had become a Christian, he was disowned and cut off from his village. Tipa, one of the first Bhutanese Seventh-day Adventists in the world, left Bhutan and settled in Nepal. Tipa's son Praveen shared his father's passion to reach the Bhutanese for Christ. He became a teacher in a boarding school near the Bhutan border in India, where many Bhutanese students studied. Praveen befriended them and secretly taught them the Bible in a way they could understand. Some eagerly accepted Jesus as their saviour. During vacations, Praveen visited his students' families in Bhutan. Some of these families became close friends. One day, Praveen stared at the Himalayan mountains, wondering how he could share Jesus with the Bhutanese. Just then, a man approached and said he was a Seventh-day Adventist. The two talked long about the Bible, Ellen G. White and the Great Controversy. Praveen was inspired to print copies of the Great Controversy to give to Bhutanese people who lived on the border of India and Bhutan. Others helped to finance the project. The book created a stir. Some monks and even some Christians became alarmed and threatened to have the book banned. Christian leaders of other denominations denounced the book and urged their members to burn it. But others became curious about this book that had caused such a stir. They sought copies for themselves and began reading it. The book was reprinted. Praveen befriended two monks. After several months, he introduced them to Jesus and gave them copies of the Great Controversy and a New Testament. The monks secretly read their books and have asked to take more copies across the Bhutan border. Praveen's Bhutanese students take copies of the Great Controversy with them when they return home. They share the books with family and friends, and in this way God's truths have entered Bhutan. And this story is to be continued next week. Don't miss next week's lesson. This has been Dr. Percy Harold with a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia and brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful.